thank you for reading and uh, thanks for having us. We really have had a warm welcome. Let me, um, I'm going to, well, I'm going to reorganize here. Do you know sometimes when you haven't done things for a couple of weeks, it takes you a while to remember how to do it. Um, now, if I walk around, I, I can't stand still and preach. Um, this is going to work. A little picture up on the screen. Uh, it was 2015, the first time that I ever went to Africa. Are we working? Is this right, John? Good. Um, yeah, 2015, the first time I ever went to Africa. I um, actually ever had the opportunity over uh, four years to go back and forth to a couple of different countries in Africa to do some work, um, particularly in Rwanda, teaching a theology course to pastors in uni campus um, directors. But the very first day that I arrived in Africa, I was in Tanzania. We flew into this tiny little um, backwater country town called Mwanza. I jumped on a, a big truck through dirt roads, uh, dirt poor cities or dirt, dirt poor towns. People have no shoes on. And uh, we go to visit this school that my church was supporting. Um, and these are the kids at the Katoki School. And now, uh, anyway, one of the people on our team, Jenny, was uh, at the church that I worked at. Um, and she had been sponsoring two of the children at the Katoki School for a number of years. Two girls, two sisters. And um, these girls are so thankful to meet their sponsor, um, uh, Jenny. And they called her mummy. It was really cute. Oh, mummy, mummy. Um, and they, they hugged her and, and loved her. Anyway, the second day we were there, we got called into the principal's office. Never a good thing. Um, got called into the principal's office and uh, it was because the girl's real mom had come. She'd caught the bus and she'd walked all the miles to get there from their village, which was quite a while away. And um, we're in this little room and the two sponsor girls come in with their real mom. And as soon as mom arrives, she falls on her knees and she's crying and she grabs hold of Jenny's hands and she grabs hold of Jenny's knees and she's kissing her hands and she's saying, this is one word that I knew in Swahili, asante, asante, asante sana, thank you so much, thank you so much. Um, see, for Jenny sending uh, $40 a month to Africa, it was this really small thing. But in the lives of those two girls and for their whole family, this money changed their lives. And the girls would be educated, they'd have job prospects outside their villages, um, they'd be able to send money home, they'd be able to start businesses, other children would be able to be educated, all because of that little gift from Australia. Um, this would have a life-changing impact on this family for generations to come. Could you imagine a gift that changed everything? A gift that changed everything for you. For, for you, what would that be? What would be the gift that changed everything? Perhaps your mortgage paid in full, that'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Maybe a, a clean bill of health. Maybe it would be a, a job, a partner, a child. Maybe it would be a lost relationship that was restored. What would be the gift that changed everything for you? Well, this morning we're starting a, a short three-week series uh, in the book of Romans and it's all about the life-changing gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. John do you mind just clicking to the next slide for me? Oh no I was pressing the back button. It's in America, it's, we're upside down here. <laughs> uh, Three-week series the book of Romans uh, chapter 12. It's all about the life-changing gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ and how that gift transforms our lives both individually and as the people of God together. Um, it's the same gift that we hope will transform Robertson and Barrowang and 
the whole district as we take the word of Jesus out, as we take the good news. So why don't we pray about that and then we'll open God's word together. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that we can open it and hear you speak to us through the words that are written here. As we hear your word today, will you remind us of your life-changing gift to us in Jesus Christ? And we pray that you'd help us to respond rightly for the glory of Jesus alone. Amen. So uh, we're starting to think about the, the gift that changes everything, and that's where Romans 12 starts as well. Um, it starts with the gift that changes everything, which is the gift of God's mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Um, the gift that changes everything is God's mercy. And the, the writer Paul is going to spend the rest of the book fleshing out what does it mean to live in response to God's mercy? What should we do in view of God's mercy? How should we respond properly? Uh, and we'll get to the first of his commands in just a moment. But since we're picking up in chapter 12, it's always good just to, to think about what came beforehand. Um, so a couple of moments why is God's mercy such a life-changing gift? And how does it reshape our lives? Um, so Paul has spent all of chapters 1 to 11 explaining his mercy, God's mercy. Back in chapter 1, God starts with the human condition. Um, the human condition that we all find ourselves in as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. That is the condition of people who reject God. So as humans, we are very good at turning our backs on God, We're very good at closing our eyes and, and closing our ears to Him, uh, blocking God out and, and ignoring Him and pushing Him away. We're, we're very good at that. It's in our nature as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Even when we know that He's there, I'm, uh, I'll press the back button again. That's really funny. Maybe I've become ambidextrous and who knows? Maybe my left brain has turned to my, my right brain. Um, who knows where this is? What it, it is San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge. This was uh, the bridge that we used to drive across when we went north to our home in Napa. Um, amazing piece of architecture. Um, there's something special about this picture. Normally, the Golden Gate Bridge is covered in fog. Um, it's quite romantic, actually. You see the sea fog roll in and it sort of pours off like a waterfall. But just once in a while, the stars come out and it's clear. Um, an amazing piece of architecture. Do you know that... Um, a great many people will sit in nature and they'll acknowledge that there must be a greater power out there. You know, somebody, somebody or something who created everything, um, some sort of energy, some sort of divine being. And of course, we know that God has created everything. He didn't create the Golden Gate Bridge. That was people, but he enabled them to. But he's the one who created the stars and the moon. And uh, we're reminded in Romans 1 that since the creation of world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, they've been clearly seen. They've been understood from what's been made so that people are without excuse. Um, humanity knows that God is there, but we ignore him. And it's probably even more than that. Even though we know that God has made everything, even though we know that God gives us everything, by our nature, we still want nothing to do with him. Uh, we want the good gifts, but we don't want the giver. And this is what Paul says in chapter 1. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. Um, I've got two kids. You've just met Jamie, our other daughter, Charlotte. She's still living in the US. Um, Jamie's 19. Um, he still says, I love you. <laughs> we get a hug. We get a kiss. I love you. Kisses me before bed every night. It's real cute. 
Um, Charlotte's the same when we see, sorry, not cute in a bad way, like in a manly, masculine, a wonderful way. Um, Charlotte, who's, uh, she's a college student in the US, when we see her, even over the, over the Facebook, uh, not Facebook, what's it called? FaceTime, showing my age. I always a kiss and I love you. Um, could you imagine a child who never said, I love you? Um, a child who lived in your house, a child who ate the food that you provided for them and uh, wore the clothes that you gave them, but they never acknowledged you. Not because they couldn't, but because they chose not to. Could you imagine that? Never made eye contact, never said hello, never said goodbye. They chose to ignore you. They chose to go about your life as if you didn't exist. It would be terrible. And that's how the Bible says that we've treated God. Not honouring Him as God or giving thanks to Him. Instead, ignoring Him and worse, worshipping other things in His place. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the result is that God's understandable anger is poised to judge those who reject Him. And chapters 1 to 3, they talk about God's wrath being revealed. Sorry, wrath. I spent four years in America trying to learn to say wrath instead of wrath. You'll just have to put up with me. Chapters 1 to 3, they talk about God's wrath being revealed because of our godlessness. It talks about judgment and and says that nobody's going to escape this judgment because none of us have done enough righteous acts to be declared right with God on our own. So Romans starts with this terrible news about the human condition. But it also starts with the great news of a loving God who would overcome our own unrighteousness by giving us a righteousness that belongs to Him. Um, Righteousness, Paul says in Romans 3.22, comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Um, This is a very terrible picture, but this is a a weird translation of that verse in uh, Romans 3.22. And I loved it. It says it a bit different, but it makes so much sense. The underlined part that we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and, and we can all be saved in this same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. This is the good news, isn't it? No matter who we are or what we've done, actually God promises to save us if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And the forgiveness comes at a price, uh, but not a price we could ever pay. Um, instead, Jesus dies on our, uh, in our place on the cross. His death means that our debt with God is paid, and we receive this righteousness that we never deserve by putting our faith in Jesus. And that is God's mercy. So we began by thinking about the kind of gift that would change everything. Um, The gift that changes everything is the gift of Jesus' life given for ours, the gift of a life given instead of us. A couple of years ago, I got to meet Nelson Mandela's former bodyguard. Um, It was awesome. He was six foot tall. No, I'm six foot tall. He was about six five. He was tough as nails. And he just had that look like, you know, I could kill you if I wanted to. And I'm sure he could have actually. And um, I was a bit cheeky. I said to him, were you really prepared to take a bullet for Nelson Mandela? And he looks at me. And with the South African accent, absolutely. Um, and I was like, Ooh. Um, And actually, that's what Jesus says to us, isn't it? He says, I will stand between you and the Father's wrath. He says, actually, I'll shield you. I will die so that you will live. I mean, this bodyguard, he never had to to put it to the test. But Jesus dies for us. It's an amazing gift. It would change your life, wouldn't it? If somebody stood in your place and died instead of you, you couldn't just walk away unchanged. 
So how do we respond? Um, Well, Romans goes on to say, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Um, The word that jumps out to me here is sacrifice. So the primary response for a follower of Jesus, in light of God's mercy and forgiveness and grace, it's to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Um, Sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were instrumental to um, God's part of how people worshipped God. They're a regular part at the synagogue or the temple. People would bring an animal or a bird and they would kill it and sprinkle the blood everywhere to show that sin deserves death. Blood needs to be poured out in order to bring forgiveness. And then they would burn the animal and the aroma would go up to God and they'd hope that God would find it pleasing enough. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Um, Paul's not talking about some kind of grotesque human sacrifice. Um, Although there are cultures who thought that sacrificing humans might somehow appease the gods. But Paul's not talking about dead sacrifices. He's talking about living sacrifices. About offering our whole life as a sacrifice of thankfulness for what Jesus did on the cross. Um, When Joe and I were young and married we didn't have too much money and I had this trailer um you know when you buy some trailers and they just rust out straight away that was my trailer I think it was only a couple years old and um the tailgate at the back completely rusted out and fell off the the hinges um we had a tradie living next door a plumber and he was a great gas fitter and things anyway I took it next door and I said any chance you could help me fix my trailer he's like no I'll weld it up for you don't worry and, um, and literally half an hour later, there it was, rolled back into my driveway. It had new hinges. You could even take the tailgate off. Uh, he'd cold gowled it all. It was brilliant. And, um, and I'm thinking, how do I repay this guy? How do I repay this guy? Um, what's the answer? Beer. Well done. Um, <laughs> well, so I think, I, think I'll get this guy, I think I'll get this guy a case of beer. And... Um, Nothing says thanks like a case of beer. And then when I thought about it a little bit, I was like, well, it actually only took him about half an hour. What about a six-pack instead of the whole case? <laughs> and so, um, so, so, um, so I knock on his door. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I, I've actually completely forgotten. Um, and I say, you know, I wanted to thank you for helping with the trailer, and I brought you this <laughs> little six-pack. You should have seen his face. Um, it said cheapskate. Um, <laughs> Uh, as a plumber, I suspect his call-out fee was about 220 bucks, so um, I was about $201 short. Anyway, when you took your sacrifice to the temple, um, you took your best lamb. You, you took the firstborn, one without blemish. Or if you were a grain grower, you took the best of the grain or the best of your olive oil. Um, the sacrifice was meant to be the best thing you had that you could offer to God. And that's the same for us, only God doesn't want us to offer something else to him. Um, God actually wants us to offer ourselves to Him, to give the best of ourselves to Him. Our whole body, it says here. I think that means not just our body, but everything that we are. It's like our whole self, our whole being offered to God. Not to die, but to live in His service. And this isn't some kind of sacrifice to earn God's favor. Um, Plenty of people try to earn God's favor by um, doing religious things, but God's already shown us mercy, hasn't He? in Jesus and there's no sacrifice left that could earn God's favor for us Jesus was the one true sacrifice and in fact even all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament 
in the temple, they were imperfect sacrifices that pointed forward to the one true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, um, the one who is really righteous, who died for us to bring us to God. So what we're to do is to offer our lives in thankfulness to God's mercy as a living sacrifice. And this is the only kind of holy and pleasing sacrifice we can make to God. Well, the next part of the verse says, this is actually your true and proper worship. Um, there's lots of confusion about what worship is um, when you talk to different people in churches. Um, maybe it's a little bit American, but um, sometimes in church circles, worship is often the thing that we, we describe what we're doing when we're singing. You know, when we're singing, we're worshiping. Or maybe it's when we come to church, that's when we're worshiping. Um, and so some people think you're only worshiping when you do this. Um, you can put your hands up when we sing, it's okay. If I do it, don't judge me. And if anybody else does it, don't judge them. Um, but that's not the only way that we worship. Um, actually, this is funny. I don't know if you've seen this on YouTube. Tim Hawkins has his kind of uh, different worship hands. It's a, like a tutorial. He's a comedian. Um, Tim Hawkins, YouTube, worship hands, very funny. There's kind of all sorts. There's a, there's the, this one is about like kicking a goal, like through the goalposts. Um, very funny. Um, so it's true that when we sing in church, we're worshiping. Um, but what happens in church and what happens when we sing, that's not the only time that Christians are worshipping. Paul says in verse 1 that actually um, when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, that's actually what true and proper worship is. So true and proper worship is actually a whole life dedicated to God, a, a whole life connected to God, a whole life lived remembering that God is there and not ignoring Him. And it's the obvious response to God's mercy, isn't it? Um, your mercy is worth everything I have, not just the six-pack, but the whole case. Um, every thought, every moment, every dollar, all of your energy, all of your creativity, all offered to God in response to His great gift to you. So how are you offering your body as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy? Um, I have a friend who's a missionary, and uh, he asked me to preach on these verses at his commissioning service. When he left to become a missionary, he went to Chile. Um, for him, the obvious way to serve God, the obvious way to offer his body as a living sacrifice was to become a missionary. And he moved to the southernmost tip of Chile to teach people about Jesus. But that doesn't mean we should all become missionaries, although, Robo Church, I do hope some of you become missionaries. Um, some of the little ones and some of you who are a bit more grown up, there's nothing stopping you from becoming a missionary. I hope we do that. I hope we send out lots. I was um, saying at the 8 o'clock service, actually, a lot of our young adults, as they leave the church here to go off to university uh, we send them as missionaries don't we they go off and they share jesus wherever they are we train them up we raise them up and we set them free um, we hope we can do that more formally as well really exciting that jamie's going to fiji on mission um, and i hope people pray for him uh, for opportunities to share the jesus uh, share jesus there um, so i do hope we'll have lots of missionaries coming from this church um, but that's not the only way to worship God, to become a full-time Christian, um, a full-time missionary. You can actually do that wherever you are. So whether you're at home or whether you're studying or whether you're working or whether you're farming, there's ways to share Jesus, to offer your body as a, a living sacrifice wherever you are. The answer is we just need to hold nothing back from God, to hold nothing back from God. Don't repay Him with a little bit of your time or a little bit of your body. We need to give it all to Jesus and um, again, one of the things I was so impressed about with this church is actually the way that so many of you are serving and giving so much of yourselves 
to the gospel. It's not just our bodies we need to give to God. It's actually our minds as well. Um, And so the next part of the verse says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, This question went badly at 8 o'clock. Who's got Netflix at home? Yeah, it's not not bad. Um, At 8 o'clock, there was like three hands. Um, uh, uh, You know, if you have Netflix, they call it the Netflix effect, that thing where you just sort of sit there and you kind of get overwhelmed and you just get lost. Um, People binge series and... Or if you're like me, actually just spend all the time clicking, trying to decide what to watch. You never actually decide what to watch. Uh, Netflix can have a mind-numbing effect on us. Television's the same. There's plenty of other things that do the same as well. And uh, we can end up watching way too much Netflix or whatever you like to watch. And uh, this might just be my household, but I'm pretty sure we're not alone. And when you stop to think about it, our headspace is bombarded every day by millions of of ideas, little snippets of information that come in, in the course of a day, whether it's television, whether it's a radio, whether it's the newspaper, whether it's advertising, whether it's things that we see on the street. If you're a, a TikTok generation or a Facebook generation, often we find ourselves unable to uh, go a few minutes without reaching to our pockets. Um, I read some statistics that said people touch their telephone about 1,600 times a day. That's the average. Um, it's sort of something we do. And uh, at my, my house, I think we've all fallen into that pattern a little bit, um, a pattern of the world. Um, and they're not necessarily bad things in themselves, um, kind of innocuous a little bit. But do you know what? I find it harder to pray than I did 10 years ago. I find myself more distracted. Um, and I think that's actually a ploy of the people who make all of those advertising and, and little, little things. They want your attention. They want to draw your attention to their product. And God says, no, I want you to draw your attention to me. I want you to focus on me. See, when we get too caught up in all of those other things, sometimes they just draw us to the things of this world. They keep our minds anchored on the things of this world. You know, the values and the virtues and the the idols and the temptations, the online shopping, whatever it is. And it takes our mind off what we should be doing and who we should be, which is people who are worshipping God and offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. So how do we stop ourselves conforming to the world? How do we stop the world from stealing our attention away from God and our focus away? How can we have our minds renewed and transformed in our thinking so that we can worship God more and more? Um, I think it's not rocket science. Um, In Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells Christians to set our minds on things above, to spend time regularly setting our minds on things above, to spend time in God's Word. This is not rocket science, is it? To spend some time praying every day, to, uh, to turn off, to switch off, so that you can switch on to God and to spend time with Him. Um, if you're not in a small group or a Bible study, that's probably a great way for you to go and switch off everything else and spend an hour or two every week concentrating on how to live your life as a sacrifice to Jesus, how to offer yourself. That's be a real encouragement. See, God wants to take our minds and transform our thinking so that we'll have the same priorities that He does, so that we'll live according to His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you know, actually what that means is, it means that we're going to be different from the world. Um, The world is swimming away from God. But as Christians, we're going to swim towards Him. 
Um, sometimes it'll cause waves when we do that, when we don't conform to the patterns of the world. Sometimes it's going to mean publicly disagreeing with popular ideas or moralities. Sometimes it's going to mean privately choosing not to watch certain things or do certain things. In your workplace, there might be questions around what's ethical and unethical. And you might need to find yourself swimming in the opposite direction. That can be difficult. I know it can be. You know, in your financial affairs, it might mean not conforming to the lifestyle expectations of your neighbours and the people who live around us. Maybe it's choosing not to have all the things and choosing instead to put some more of our time and energy and money and attention into the things of God. That'll make us really different from the world, won't it? This world has a tight grip on us, and I'm guessing it's exactly the same here in Robertson as it was in California and in Sydney where I lived before. But as enticing as this world might be, God has even better in store for us. He's got a gift that changes everything, a gift that many of you know and cherish, and a gift that God wants us to share with the world even as they swim away from Him. The gospel is a gift that brings transformation. Gospel is a gift that brings transformation. I pray that we'll be a church transformed by the gospel and a church that brings transformation wherever we go. Why don't we pray about that now? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your great mercy to us, for Jesus' willingness to die in our place so we can be forgiven and and have an eternity with you. Lord, transform us, make us new, change us, Help us to live our lives as a living sacrifice to you. Help us not to conform to the pattern of this world, to be, but be to, to be transformed. So that in all places, in all, the, all of the places we find ourselves, we are ambassadors of Jesus, good witnesses of him, so that people might see the good deeds that we do and glorify your name. And we pray that you would make us a church who takes the gospel out, the glory of Jesus so that many people might find salvation in him and know the gift that changes everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.